generally speaking, you don't have to tell your customer how many square feet you measured out because what you're selling to them is whatever substrates you're painting or coating. You don't have to tell them, oh, this is all based on exactly 512 square feet because that's not really relevant. You need to tell them this room when we're done with it is going to have all your trim, all your ceiling, all your walls painted professionally and cleanly and no hassles. That's what you're selling, not square feet. Welcome to Rocket Your Business for Trade Contractors. This podcast is designed to help trade contractors run their businesses more efficiently and profitably by eliminating chaos and discovering new growth opportunities. Learn from experts in the trades how to rocket your business to the next level. Welcome to Rocket Your Business for Trade Contractors. I'm Chris Shank. I'm the education lead here at Estimate Rocket. This is part two of a two-part series called The Every Contractor's Guide to Estimating. Tom breaks down best practices for estimating and job costing, how to find your true production rate, how to set price, how to use accurate measurements to determine an estimate, how to use the best technology for estimating. We'd love to hear your feedback. Reach out to us, support at estimaterocket.com. And if you want access to the tools we mentioned on part two, the estimating best practices checklist and the what if planning tool, I have both of those in part one and part two notes of the podcast. So go to the podcast notes and you'll find those links. Now here's part two of the Every Contractor's Guide to Estimating. Another example of interior, large room or small room, um, these things can be pre-filled out and adjusted, or you can, um, you know, depending upon if you've come up with a model for doing small, medium, large, or maybe bedroom and living room and dining room, or what you do uh, with typical sizes. The difference, one of the fun things to do when you do, once you do get a, you know, some sort of a, a systematized estimating system is it's kind of fun to experiment with tweaking square feet and tweaking counts and looking at the differences in the proposals. And that's where, um, you know, one of the things about production rates that's important is the production rate isn't, uh, you know, an adjustment in the number of square feet is not necessarily going to make a huge difference in the end price for the project. And that's why in some cases, um, if you, for example, came up with small, medium and large rooms, you would probably, uh, you know, as long as you knew what a small, medium and large room were uh, and you pick the larger, you know, of, of the if it's if it's on almost on large, then it's a large. If it's, you know, almost on medium, it's a medium kind of thing. You will probably not see much difference in price than you would if you simply if you priced it by exact square footage. And generally speaking, you don't have to tell your customer how many square feet you measured out because what you're selling to them is whatever substrates you're painting or coating. Uh, You don't have to tell them, oh, this is all based on exactly 512 square feet because that's not really relevant. You need to tell them this room when we're done with it is going to have these, you know, all your trim, all your ceiling, all your walls painted professionally and cleanly and no hassles. That's what you're selling, not square feet. So generally speaking, I would not give square feet back to a customer. Um, If it's a commercial bid, then obviously the rules may apply differently because the commercial bid, they may want to see what you're bidding per square foot. But um, residential, 
I, I don't believe that that's really the case. Um, calculating materials. So there's a couple of thoughts on materials. Uh, fortunately in painting, your typical material costs do not represent the bulk of your costs. So, uh, you know, 15% is a, is a good, probably a good line guideline. I've heard people talk everywhere from 10 to 20 plus percent for materials, but I think a happy medium or a target might, would be 15%, uh, of your, of your sales dollars would be, uh, paint. So, uh, again, figuring out your production rates for paint is a matter very similar to figuring out your, your painting rate for your walls. You just need to know what the, what the characteristics are of a particular paint product and how much coverage you get with it. And then apply your experience to that and use that for your production rate in terms of how many gallons of paint you need per whatever your standard unit is. Um, and generally speaking with uh, over under, uh, there, it, there's an interesting premise. Um, a lot of automated systems don't give you a way to round because it's kind of complex to do that. Uh, and in a lot of cases by rounding, you end up really increasing the cost, the, the price of materials slash the cost of materials. Uh, and that's something that people can get called out on. Um, generally speaking, I like the approach of getting the total gallons of paint that you believe you require, the actual number of gallons of each paint, and then rounding it up to the next can, uh, and you can in incorporate that into your proposal. That's really, uh, to me, that's the, the only safe way to do that. Um, and and we, the other thing that we want to uh, be really caught, concerned with uh, is the scope of work. I think a, a good scope of work, um, if nothing else, just can really save your ass. Um, if you have a good scope of work that documents exactly what you said you're gonna do and exactly what you said you're not going to do, you are gonna solve a lot of problems in advance. You know, Hopefully we all get great customers who uh, are fair and reasonable, uh, but sometimes we don't. And we really need to be prepared for those sometimes that we sometimes we don't. And I, the only way to do that is with a good scope of work. Let's put it that way. That won't solve your whole problem. You're still going to get people that are going to complain about things. But at least with a good scope of work, you have something, you know, contractual that you can go back to the customer with and say, hey, look, you know, we clearly listed out that we we're not going to do these things. We're happy to do them for you, but there'll be an additional, there'll be a change order for that, an additional cost involved uh, to perform it. So um, the other thing I'll say is that the PCA uh, standards are really, really handy um, for this case. They are uh, freely available and there basically is a PCA standard for just about anything you can possibly uh, ever need. <laughs> and those are great to plug into your, into your projects when needed. Uh, it's especially important in commercial work. So um, highly recommend you check that out. So setting competitive prices. We've done our estimate. We know how many hours we think it's going to take. We know how many gallons we think it's going to take to do the project, um, all based on our production rates or whatever unit pricing methodology we're, we happen to be using. Um, but it's based on data and facts. Um, 
So now we have to set our prices. And this is where uh, it becomes kind of interesting because there's a lot of different things that go into pricing. You know, your neighborhood goes into your pricing, the type of, of um, property it is that you're working on, um, your, your internal uh, metrics, you know, your pricing has to support the ongoing operation of your company. You can't be spending more than you're earning. So uh, you either have to figure out a way to cut costs or you have to make sure that your prices are adequate to cover your costs. So um, one of the things about this that I think is important, and again, I uh, heard I heard a recent um, talk uh, by Nick Slavic, uh, who uh, is a, a great painting industry thought leader, um, and and he was talking about the concept of revenue per hour, which I think is genius. Um, revenue per hour gives you a quick way to look at your price. Divide it by the number of hours, hours are critical, that you said it was going to, or believe it's going to take. And then that result number is your revenue per hour. Now, revenue per hour is going to vary, you know, company to company, but he used a benchmark of $75 of revenue per hour as a, as a starting point. And the, and that's based on basically about somewhere between 20 and $30 per hour, $35 per hour for painters and your need to make a profit. So it's just such a, a quick, brilliant calculation that you can use as a benchmark to see, okay, here's how my price came out based on my production rates. Um, but gee, this doesn't look like it's actually, you know, going to be enough money for me to be profitable. And um, I, there's more to come on, on the concept because um, Nick really kind of blew my mind with that the other day. Um, not that I haven't thought of the concept of revenue per hour before, but the way he phrased it and the way he's using it as a tool to figure out if you're in the ballpark, even if you don't have a lot of knowledge yet, um, it, it really, you know, based on his experience and, and his numbers, and I know Nick is a numbers guy, uh, it, it just gives you a benchmark to go on. And if you're way under that or way over that, you might want to examine it. If you're way over it and you're, and you're still getting all the work you want to get, well, that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. If you're way under it, however, you are probably not going to be making any money at the end of the year. And that's what you really got to watch out for. And that $75 per hour does include material. So that's basically your total revenue which includes any materials and labor, divided by the total number of hours worked on the project. And again, this is just a benchmark number, but um, I'd run, I'd take a few of your projects. In fact, Nick actually has a spreadsheet that he's made available if you email him. Um, and it, you can just plug in some numbers really simply and see from your projects and quickly see where you stand, you know, where your, how your margins are. So this is a really, Really fun exercise, uh, highly recommend that. At the end of the day, you get you you pay for your people by the hour and you get paid by the hour. You have to know your hours. That's really what this comes down to. Um, generally speaking, your materials are not gonna make or break your year. You know, they might give you a little extra bonus if you happen to be able to charge a premium for them. But the reality is your hours priced incorrectly can 
really, really, really hurt you. So um, ultimately, these target numbers need to be uh, worked out from your own company based on your own market and business situations. But um, it's a it's a good benchmark, especially if you're starting out, uh, to give you something to to shoot for, target to shoot for. Highly recommended. Um, you know, once you get your proposal done, we're, we're past estimating, you know, having a clear, concise, professional looking, uh, proposal, it's easy for the customer to, to accept, uh, for online preferably or sign on the spot and, you know, being able to follow up with them, you know, that you need that too. So once you get the proposal and estimate done and out there, then you need a process for closing the deal. It uh, goes beyond the scope of estimating, but uh, don't want to forget that as a as a really critical component in the in the puzzle. Okay, let's talk about some resources we have for you guys before we get going here. We have a couple downloads for you if you're interested. We have the estimating best practices checklist, and this is all you need to know to make a good, successful, profitable estimate. Um, you can find this at estimaterocket.com forward slash download, then immediately after download, you have a hyphen estimating, hyphen best, hyphen practices, hyphen checklist. So it's estimating estimating best practices checklist with hyphens. Okay, so again, estimaterocket.com forward slash download, hyphen estimating, hyphen best, hyphen practices, hyphen checklist. All right, sorry that's so complicated. That's the way we had to put it in there. Okay, we have another download for you too. It's called What If? It's a planning tool that will help you forecast your next year's growth at the bottom line. Calculate how changes in your employee count, pricing, overhead, price per job, and other variables affect your bottom line. You can find this at estimaterocket.com forward slash what if download. It's all one word, what if download. Find it there or you can contact us. Just let us know if you have questions. Uh, I did get a question I want to answer real quick and that's about the cost and estimating guide, uh, Tom mentioned production rates are at PCA. If you look in their store, I believe they still have it, the cost and estimating guide. That's where you're gonna find um, the latest and greatest how to estimate blueprint reading and uh, their production rates that they suggest are average for the industry. Hope you enjoyed the Every Contractor's Guide to Estimating part one and two. This was part two of a two-part series. If you haven't heard part one, go back and check it out. And don't forget, in the podcast notes, you have links to those tools, the Estimating Best Practices checklist in the What If Planning tool, and a link to the full video presentation. Rocket Your Business for Trade Contractors is brought to you by Estimate Rocket, makers of the top sales and job management software for contractors. Manage the chaos and rocket your business to the next level. That's what you're selling, not square feet.